And you may be seated. Amen. What a joy it is to be in the house of the Lord today. I want to invite you to go to the book of James, and I trust that you brought the word with you. If not, you can, of course, follow the scripture there on the screen behind me. I believe they have it there for you, but we're not going to read it. You can do that yourself. We're just going to kind of, you know, jump in. Um, Last week, we talked about what kind of faith was it that we spoke about last week? Do you remember? It was testing faith. We were talking about testing faith, and today we are talking about maturing faith. And this is the faith that understands the role that wisdom plays in our life, the way that, that wisdom unfolds in the life of the believer as we, we begin to seek wisdom and we begin to pray for wisdom and, and we chase after it as we remember in one passage in Proverbs that she is feminine and that we are to know her and befriend her and wisdom is to become a part of our, our life and our, our thought pattern. Amen. And in fact, we're just going to dig right in in verse 5. Let's look at verse 5. We're going to James chapter 1, beginning at verse 5 down through verse 8 together this morning. So I invite you to just kind of follow along as we we kind of refer to the word today. So we go to James chapter 1, looking at verse 5. And if we look at the verse, we see that it tells us to ask for wisdom. And it's interesting that it begins this way. James does begin by saying this is something that we we need to ask for. You'd think that, that we would ask for it naturally. I mean... You'd think that we would, you know, in our own mind, in our own heart, we'd say, okay, I need wisdom. And perhaps it's it's just the idea that James is giving us that this is the way that we find purpose in life. Or this is the way that life, you know, becomes complete is by knowing and experiencing, having the wisdom of God. I mean, I, I can't imagine anybody saying, no, I don't want any wisdom. I mean, I can't imagine anybody saying something like that. No, that wisdom thing, that's kind of a bad deal. No, I'll I'll kind of hold that at arm's length. You know, people are not going to do that, right? We're not going to do that. We're going to be, you know, a little bit more open to the idea of, of, of seeking wisdom and maybe even more open when we are facing trials and temptations, or we could say tribulation. Tribulation means what? It means difficult times. And in fact, if I had you raise your hand, how many people here you know, know about difficult times. You don't have to raise your hand, but there would be many of us, if not all of us, we would understand whether it's at the workplace or whether it's at home or whether it's your own spiritual journey, you understand what difficult times are about. And so maybe it's for those that are going through these difficult times or as we refer to the first few verses, verses one through four, there in James chapter one, those that are going through trials and temptations. Because it seems like when we're in trial and temptation, when things are difficult, that uh, we, we, we have a hard time at you know, making good decisions. I, I know that sometimes we make a bad decision and then you know, what follows that is another bad decision. Or maybe it's a, a sequence of bad decisions. And, and, and so there are times, especially those kinds of times, when we're facing trial and temptation, that we ought to seek wisdom. Not just the wisdom of man, but we want to seek the wisdom of God without any, without any doubt. And so it's possible that we, we can, you know, relate, or maybe we would want to admit it, but we can relate to the idea of what it means to make a bad decision and then allow that to begin to affect us, or maybe, you know, impact our self-esteem, and then, you know, that impacts how well we make the, the future decision or the decisions that are in front of us. And, and so it's very possible that we can get caught up in, in this spiritual walk that's more like quicksand than standing on the rock. 
You see, because the spiritual thing is to say, yeah, I'm on the rock. I mean, you know, the spiritual thing is to say, you know, life is in order. I've got things in a row. You know, my ducks are in a row and I'm standing on the rock of Christ. And so there is this temptation to put on the persona, the idea that we're on the rock. When in reality, that sometimes we are just in the midst of quicksand. And life is pulling us down and the enemy is working against us. And I I like to think that sometimes we get in a place where the challenge is so real, it feels like we're in one of those money funnels. You know, do you remember the money funnel at the mall? Sometimes at the mall they'd have these money funnels, a big yellow funnel or a red funnel, and you'd drop a coin in the slot, and then the coin would begin to roll around like this. And the more it rolls around, the more it begins to be drawn towards the center because it's a funnel. Do you guys remember that, the money funnels? You drop the coin in and the coin as it moves towards the center of the funnel, it begins to move faster and faster. Then gravity kicks in and begins to suck the coin down. It's going faster and faster and bam. You see, that's exactly what the enemy does in life. He wants to suck us down. He wants to get us on the mat. He wants to hold us back. He does not want us to experience the joy that God has for us in Christ. Do you know what power it is that Satan has against us? Do you know what power that he uses against us? It is doubt. If he can get you to doubt... If he can get you to doubt yourself or doubt your future or doubt any possibility of goodness in life or to doubt, you know, the possibility of even spiritual victory. And especially if the enemy can get you to doubt the power of God, if he can get you to doubt your own salvation, the enemy will work his wonder in your life and he will use that doubt and that doubt will become what we can call really spiritual destruction. I'm trying to imagine You know, what it must have been like when Jesus was there in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, I mean, before the crucifixion, you know, before he went to the cross and before he shed his blood and he was buried in the grave and defeated the sting of death. And before the resurrection that gives us everlasting life and thank goodness he followed that through. But I'm trying to imagine the gigantic emotion that Jesus must have had because he was fully man. Yes, he was the God man. He was fully God. But also Jesus was fully man. And being fully man, there was emotion in that man. And I'm trying to imagine that gigantic emotion he had in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, Oh, Father, if possible, please, you know, keep this cup from me. If possible, you know, may I not have to drink from this cup. If possible, may I not have to go to the cross. And I'm trying to imagine the gigantic emotions of despair or maybe even fear that Jesus had as he was getting ready for Calvary. And in his anguish and and, and, and his thoughts in regards to that journey that he would have to take. And maybe possibly even some doubt whether he's doing the right thing or not. I mean, in in his humanity part of him. You see, I guess what I want to say is that practicing doubt leads to fear because we fear what we've already experienced, especially if it's bad. Doubt and fear. I mean, if there is a flagship statement for the message this morning, here's my flagship statement. Doubt and fear are the handmaidens of self-destruction. Think of that for a moment. Doubt and fear are the handmaidens of self-destruction. You see, the enemy loves that. He loves, you know, casting, you know, doubt on your life. He loves to get you to dwell on the fear. And in fact, verses seven and eight, go back to the text for a moment. Let's look at the word for just a second. Uh, Go back to the text there. And and what it shows us, it shows us what we get when we do not have wisdom. Remember, this is about seeking wisdom. He shows us what we get when we do not have wisdom or 
We do not believe what Christ has done for us in regards to the cross. In fact, verses 7 and 8, it gives us the end result of lacking wisdom and belief. And I kind of coined this. It refers to it at the end of verse 8. Go to the end of verse 8. Look at that for just a moment, the end of verse 8. And here's what we coin here. It is called unstable nothingness. When we, we do not have belief and wisdom, the opposite of that is what? It's unstable nothingness. No matter how insulated you are financially, no matter how insulated you are emotionally, no matter how insulated you are in regards to the balance of life, ladies and gentlemen, without Jesus Christ and without the wisdom of God, there is unstable nothingness at the end of life. I I was humbled, you know, as we were saying goodbye to my wife's mom, um, Heidi's mom passed this last week and she had had a stroke 16 years ago, was paralyzed for 16 years and Dad was the primary caregiver, and so it was a very bittersweet experience. I mean, there, there was a lot of emotion there, and, but there was a lot of laughs, a lot of good times, and we enjoyed being with the family. But the joy is that, that she was a child of God, and she had prayed and accepted Jesus in her heart as her personal Savior. I believe he mentioned 1977. At a revival service, she had come forward, and she had said, Jesus, I I believe, and and she prayed and invited Jesus to become a part of her life. And so that began to kind of color the entire, you know, experience in the process in which we were saying goodbye and and experiencing closure on the life of this beautiful child of God, Heidi's mom. And and I'm sitting here reflecting upon that because her life did not end. It did not end an unstable nothingness. I mean, her, her life ended on a high point. Why? Because of her relationship with Jesus Christ and the example that she had set for us, of course, her family. I, I think, I, I mean, I just happen to think that these texts in this passage here are probably the most practical, applicable text in all of the Bible. I mean, if we really think about it, because here's the dichotomy. We have the wisdom and belief. That's the idea. It's wisdom and belief in making decisions based on wisdom. You see, parenting with wisdom and living life with wisdom and making decisions based on wisdom, not on our whim and not on our emotions, but on the wisdom of God himself. Ladies and gentlemen, it brings victory to life. You see, wisdom, that's the passage, what it's saying, wisdom leads to belief. Wisdom leads to belief. See, the opposite reality of wisdom and belief, what's the opposite? It's over here. It's unstable nothingness. Do you know the result of unstable nothingness is? Do you know what the result is? It's, it's what we started with. It's fear and doubt. That, that's the result of unstable nothingness, fear and doubt. And this is where the enemy really makes his mark. He wants to prey on her fear and he'll build on the fear as he whispers those sweet nothings in your ear and tries to get you to believe those things about yourself that are just a lie. And he will build on that fear and he'll use that fear to absolutely destroy your self-esteem. At the, 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 the funeral, my wife and I spending time with the family at some point, I think one evening, um, we began to talk about fear and death and all that. And somebody mentioned, you know, a nightmare that they had. And this is kind of interesting, but it was a nightmare. And they said, well, we kind of, you know, we dream. We have nightmares about things that we fear. I mean, I don't know if that's true or not. I mean, it kind of makes sense. But we have these nightmares. We fear these things. And then they said, well, Tony, what do you, what do you have nightmares about? I said, well, I don't have any nightmares. I have no nightmares. I, you know, I'm not afraid of the dark or anything like that. Or, 
And I said, but wait a minute, I think I do have, I guess you could call it a nightmare, because I wake up with anxiety, and I'm sweating, and all frothed up, and I'm all, you know, I'm just like, you know, exasperated when I have a particular dream, and I've dreamt this dream for probably 20 years, and, and you know what my nightmare is? I'm kind of, this is kind of personal, but you know what my nightmare is? My nightmare is that I show up on Sunday morning, and I can't find my sermon notes. <laughs> And then I, I'm, I'm dreaming that, you know, I'm just like standing in front of you, okay? I'm standing in front of you, and I don't know what to say. Wow, would that be a thing, right? And so I have this kind of recurring dream once in a while, and I wake up in a cold sweat, and I'm worried, you know, and the enemy would love to play on that and, and try to build on that kind of fear that there's nothing to say when I know very good well that there is a lot to say about Jesus Christ. He, he plays on our fear. I remember as a, a young kid, and I, again, this is kind of personal, but I remember as a young kid in those early years of elementary school, um, how the enemy played on my fear and my low self-esteem because I was small, shocker, I was small, and in fact, I was less than 100 pounds all through school, and I was the smallest kid in school, and I had red hair, my hair kind of changed colors when I got in college, but I had red hair and pale skin, and I was small, and 93 pounds and kids picked on me. <laughs> I'm not wanting to feel sorry for me, but man, I'm telling you, man, my self-esteem was like this. Because I felt like I was nothing and I was nobody and my peers reminded me of that often. I'll never forget the first time I asked a girl to go with me. Remember when you do that in elementary school and she laughed in my face. She said, no, you're too small. I go, What? And, and, and so that just began to build on this, this self-esteem that was so small and, and this, this uh, bad self-worth. And, and, and uh, you know, I just, I, I just had such a hard time with that. But then all of a sudden, God walked in. God became a part of my life. And, and when I invited Jesus to become a part of my, my life and I asked him to live in my heart, all of a sudden there was a, a brand new value in my life. And that value was the value, the way that God, you know, saw me and the way that God valued me. And it changed my life, you know, like day and, and night. And all of a sudden I began to have this strong self-esteem and this strong self-worth because of the way that God valued me and loved me. Amen. You see, it makes all the difference in the world when Jesus Christ is a part of your life. Amen. I, I wonder how often we make decisions based on our fear and doubt. I mean, think about that for a moment. I, I wonder how often do we allow fear and doubt to influence our spiritual decision whether or not that we're going to serve Jesus Christ or not, or whether or not that we're going to rise up and be obedient to his call in life and maybe, you know, he's calling us to ministry or maybe he's calling us to the mission field. I mean, I don't know how God is calling you, but oftentimes he uses our fear and he uses our, our, self, our low self-worth against us to, you know, from hearing God's voice when he's speaking. I, I guess here, here's what I want to say. Listen to this. The enemy is primarily a wholesaler of fear. Did you know that? The enemy is primarily a wholesaler of fear. And if he can get you to fear having faith, then he has already got you on the mat. If he can get you to fear, then it's just a simple nudge. I mean, it's just a, a very slight movement to knock you off the precedence of that face if he can get you to fear. If he can get you to have fear and, and fear what you think about yourself, then he can, you know, get the upper hand. I, I remember when I was a junior um, in high school, I'd gone to church camp one year. 
and the pastor that was preaching at church camp or the speaker for church camp was talking about um, making a commitment to Christ, a full commitment. Now, I'd already chose to walk with Jesus and to believe Jesus and try to live like Jesus but I remember that junior year uh, at camp, he was talking about, you know, making a full commitment. And, you know, in my mind, I wanted to make the commitment. In my mind, I, I wanted to be there. And so I came to the altar and uh, I can't remember if I was emotional or what, but I came to the altar and I, I knelt there for probably 30 minutes and people kind of surrounded me and we prayed together and, and I, I, I prayed this prayer that I would be fully committed and, and fully sold out to Christ. And, and, uh, and then I got up and I went back. Of course, camp was over. Uh, that was on Thursday night, of course, that night. And I went back home and nothing, absolutely nothing changed. No, nothing happened to my life. I, I was living the same way, talking the same way, doing the same things. And, and, and I began to immediately doubt what God had done in my life. In fact, the enemy played on that. And it was not until my, my sophomore year in college that I had another kind of God encounter. And I found myself on my knees and literally on my face. And I began to cry out to God. In fact, I, I, I prayed as long as it would take, as long as it was necessary. And I prayed several hours. And finally, God broke through. And you see what it was. It wasn't that God did not want to give me all of him. It was that I was fearful I was doubting myself and fearful of what God would ask me to do if I gave all of myself. Now, I, I don't know what, you know, you're being challenged with, but I know this, that the enemy is a wholesaler of fear. And he will prevent you from really rising up and hearing God's voice and being obedient to that voice, especially if there is a call upon your life. Um, and he'll use that against you. Now, why, why I love James here is because he gives us a basis of a good Christian theology in regards to, of course, the divinity of Christ. He, he, he teaches us in this passage that the manifestation of all of the wisdom of God comes to us in Jesus Christ. So, so here, here's the idea. We get all of God in Christ. Amen. We get all of God in Christ. That means all of the wisdom of the God and all the, the, the knowledge of God comes to us in Christ Jesus. And when we accept Christ and he becomes a part of our life, then we have access to the wisdom of God. You agree with that? Say, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. I don't know if you agree very much. If you agree that you receive God's wisdom, say, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. So when we accept Christ, we receive his wisdom, God's wisdom, and that wisdom is lived out in us as we seek the wisdom that God has called us to. So look at verse five through eight again, just kind of in summary. What I want to share here in summary here is what we think is of value in regards to this world, what we think is a value fades because times, of course, times change. But the substance and the steadfastness of Christ will show its worth through time. It will show its worth through time. So last week we were talking about having a steadfast spirit, a steadfast faith in Christ. And that as we have steadfastness in our relationship with Christ, then life begins to balance out and work better. But walking with him... Knowing him and living his truth in us will make us wise. So we receive the wisdom of God by receiving Christ. So what am I saying? Wisdom is readily available for who is seeking wisdom in Christ. So how do we receive wisdom? That's the idea. We receive wisdom by seeking Christ. 
We seek Christ and we get the wisdom of God. And God will answer that prayer as we seek Christ. Amen. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I am blessed. I was blessed to have a father like I had, a dad that I had growing up. Because even in the midst of those young elementary years when my self-esteem was so low and the enemy was playing on that and making me feel bad about myself, I had a dad that my father in heaven gave me that believed in this boy. And I don't know if I've shared this or not with you, but my, my dad was my best friend. And my dad, we were fishing buddies and, and we were camping buddies and hunting buddies and all that. And we had a great father-son relationship. I'm blessed by that. But um, he also was a dad that knew what to say to me because in those times that were so challenging and my self-esteem was so low, I had a father on earth, a dad, that said, Tony, you're great. Tony, I believe in you. God's doing something special through you, and it's going to use you in a special way. And, and, and hearing that from my father began to, you know, this process of building my self-esteem. And, and, and I began to believe that maybe God did have something for me. And so God gave me a father that was fighting against the fear that the enemy was using to keep me from rising up to God's will, God's plan for my life. Now, I don't know what the Lord is going to do through you, but I, I believe the message here is this, that, that you are special, that you, you, you do have a purpose in life that God has given you, and that God loves you this morning. Do you believe that today, that God loves you, and he wants to use you, and he wants to just bless your life? And I want to invite you just to receive that message from the Lord this morning, that God wants to bless your life. He wants to give you purpose in this life, and he wants to give you wisdom as you seek and you pray for wisdom through Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to stand. Let's do that. Let's stand together, and we're going to pray. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you for answered prayer. I thank you for the wisdom that you give us, Lord, as we receive your son Christ. I thank you, Father, for a wisdom that is everlasting, a wisdom that is eternal that we receive in Christ. I thank you, Father, for, Lord, just believing in us. It's possible that somebody here today, they've, they've arrived here unexpected to hear maybe what it is that they've heard or witnessed what they've witnessed. But I pray that you would just stir that heart this morning that they would have faith, not in themselves, but God, that they realize their faith is in you. And that, Lord, that you're going to give them hope and you're going to give them faith as, as they seek you, Father, as they seek your wisdom. So, Lord Jesus, I just pray for an anointing upon that young man or that young woman today that is saying, God, I need your wisdom. I need your strength in my life. Lord, you know what it is that I'm going through. And so, Lord, I'm just leaning into you and I'm going to trust you that you would give me wisdom. I know that the beginning of that, Lord, is in seeking you, your son, Jesus. And so maybe it's possible that somebody here today is going to seek. They need to seek you, Jesus. They just simply need to say, Jesus, I, I need you in my life. I need, to, I need to pray that kind of prayer that's so simple that says, Jesus, I want you to live in my heart. I want you to be in my life. And I want you to be my Savior. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And just between you and the Lord right now, nobody's looking around. Just you and the Lord, you're praying right now saying, Jesus, I need you in my life. As simple as that sounds, maybe, maybe that's profound to you. Maybe you've not heard that before. Maybe you've never prayed that kind of prayer, but right now the Lord is speaking to you and you're just hungry 
you're hungry for this Jesus that you've heard about for many years or maybe just recently and Jesus is speaking to you and you're saying, Jesus, I want you to live in my life and my heart right now. Pray that with me with your heads bowed, eyes closed. Jesus, Lord, I love you today. 